Well, good morning, Beach Point. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm the associate pastor uh, of Community Life here on the Fountain Valley campus. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of this worship service this morning. And on behalf um, of the staff, you've already heard it from uh, from from Kathy and, and, and Matt. I want to say, as a from a father to the fathers, Happy Father's Day. Um, and I, and so you know, we've been in this series called Family Business, and, and, and kind of what we're trying to do, what we're trying to look at, is what it means to be the type of people who create, who lift up, who take part in being a family after God's own heart. Now, you know, today is, uh, I, gotta, I gotta be up front, and if you've been here these last few weeks in this series, you, you realize that the sermons aren't really um, directly about being a family. Instead, they're about being a follower, right? Now, if you, if you don't, maybe, maybe you've probably already figured this out. You guys are, you guys are smart and beautiful and uh, handsome, and you know, you've figured this out, and you know, the church really is just a family of families. And so our hope is, in, this, in the midst of this series, is that we would not only learn how to become uh, better families in our individual homes, but that we would learn to become a better family um, at, at God's table as well. And, you know, speaking of families, my family was, uh, you know, growing up, my family was into the usual sports, right? You know, NFL, NBA, MLB, you know, um, I, I'm a reformed angel fan, um, you know, and uh, that means I don't like them anymore. And, um, uh, um, and so, sorry, it's, I have the microphone, it works out. And, um, but, you know, they were into all the usual sports. They were also into some of the unusual sports too, you know. Um, uh, they're unusual to most families, not all families. There may be at least one person in this room that, that's, that, was, that grew up and was really into bowling, you know, uh, not naming any names, Jan. And um, uh, so, you know... <laughs> Uh, the, the, my family was so into bowling that by the time I had hit my teenage years, all of the family photos had disappeared from the mantle and been replaced with bowling trophies. Okay, so we, we knew our place as children in the family, you know. But one of the other sports that my family was really into is billiards. A pool. Uh, they love to play pool. You know, my grandparents uh, had a pool table growing up. I, I, I got really into it when I was a kid. In fact, by the time I was 10 years old, I could run the table from the break, which means that I would never stop. I, I would, if I broke, I would never miss, and I would f- win the game. And, and I, I got really into it, so into it that I started looking into, um, you know, who were great pool players you know, of, of the day. And, and I started really uh, developing kind of this love and this relationship um, with a guy named Minnesota Fats. Minnesota Fats is one of the greatest pool players of all time, arguably the greatest pool player of all time. And I just, you know, threw myself into uh, his life. In third grade, uh, you have to do a report on a famous American. I chose him. Okay. Um, I'm not sure it's what my teacher was hoping for, but it was awesome. And, you know, by the time I was, you know, I, I could do all that stuff. You know, I could run the table from the break with, you know, all my, my, uh, my grandparents' house cues. And I realized it was time for me now to, to buy my own cue. 
And so my dad said to me, you know, son, if you can save up half the money, I'll pay the other half and you can get your own cue. And I said, okay, awesome. And so I saved up 22 bucks. The cue that I wanted was $44, which in 1989 was a grip of money. Um, and my dad, you know, took me that day, took me to uh, the billiard shop and uh, we got, I got him a cue and he even, you know, threw in out of his generosity a case. And so I walked around, I felt very um, Minnesota fatsy. And, uh, you know, what I realized that day as a uh, wise, handsome 10 year old was that I had found my career. I was going to be, for the rest of my life, a pool shark. I was going to manipulate and hustle people out of their money in bars across the United States. My parents were so proud. I guess you could say that at that time, Minnesota Fats had become sort of an idol of mine, and, and, I, and I really did um, kind of follow his career and follow his uh, sort of his methods and his ways. And now, hopefully, none of you have ever had the experience of aspiring to be a pool shark. Um, maybe you have. Um, hopefully, you've never had the experience of having a son who's aspiring to be a pool shark. But you, what you probably have had is this sort of relationship with other things, whether it's a sports team, whether it's, you know, whether you're the gadget you know, person, like the gadget comes out, you got to grab it, you got to get it. Maybe you're, you know, uh, you, maybe you're uh, the kind of person that just kind of delves everything you have, throws everything you have into your work, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I often think about it like, what if an alien came to Earth, you know, because um, everybody knows they're real. And, um, you know, what if an alien came to Earth and saw the way humans interacted with work, with sports, with gadgets, with celebrities, like, what would they think? And, and as, I, as I sat and as I thought about that, I, I really think they would say, well, they flock to all these things all the time. They, they use time and money and resources by the droves in these things. It's as though they worship them, as though they are a god. The scripture calls uh, anything we worship other than God an idol. And an idol is just a fancy word from scripture that means anything we pour our time, our money, our energy, and we put anything we put our trust in other than God. And, uh, you know, the problem with idols, and we've said this before here at Beach Point, uh, it's one of our, our favorite phrases that we stole from somebody else, is the problem with idols is that they always overpromise and always underdeliver. One writer, in fact, says that, that an idol is anything we trust or rely on other than God. Now, we probably don't think of money or work or sports or social media or celebrities or, you know, any of these things as an idol, like in the sense that you like go to them to slaughter an animal and leave the animal in front of your computer. Like, thank you, Facebook. You know, um, we, we probably don't think of it like that. But the truth is, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say the truth. My hope is this morning uh, that each of us would give God the room in our hearts and in our lives to speak to us from his word about the kinds of things that may be sort of out of place this morning. 
Now, this morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous passages uh, in all of Scripture. Uh, it's this pivotal moment for the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and it's really bringing up kind of the question, the question of all questions. He, uh, this, this leader is, is forcing the nation to ask themselves about who they worship. And really, this is the big idea this morning. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to grab your outlines out of your bulletins, take notes and follow along. You'll remember way more what you write down than what you simply listen to. And, and what this, uh, this leader uh, is getting the people to ask, and really what we have to ask ourselves, the choice that we all have to make and that we will make as a family, and this is the big idea that I want you to write down, is that your family must choose who they will worship. Your family must choose who they will worship. See, uh, the, the, the leader in this case, in our scripture this morning that we're going to jump into is Joshua. And he's trying to get the families of the nation of Israel to think through, hey, it's a choice. I love the way um, Pastor Matt prayed, that, or, excuse me, that he introduced um, our greeting time in the sense that God is so gracious that he's not going to force us. Love isn't uh, coerced, and neither is worship. It's something we choose to do. And so with that in mind, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible, uh, follow along, turn to Joshua chapter 24. If you don't own a Bible or you didn't bring one and you want to use the ones in front of you, it's on page 236. Um, in case you're wondering, it's on page 201 in my Bible. Um, but... I want to kind of set up where we are. Remember, the Bible is not a fairy tale book, okay? It's, it's a book that has real stories about real people in real places, in real times, and most importantly, with real problems, just like you and me. And the, the problem that we're being confronted with this morning is Joshua is at the end of his career. He's, the, he's kind of, this is kind of his closing argument to the nation of Israel, if you will. And so he gathers all the people. And they begin to do something called a covenant renewal ceremony. You know, we can think of it kind of like, um, like uh, when, a, when a married couple chooses to renew their vows. It's kind of the same idea, only this, in this sense, there, it's the whole nation choosing to renew their vow to worship the one true living God. And so with that in mind, I want to encourage you to begin with me in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him through Canaan, and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. 
No, that's an understatement if you know the story. Uh, I brought you out, excuse me, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You're welcome. And, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I kind of want to go back to the beginning there. There's a lot going on in this story. Um, And and I want to go back to the beginning to verse one. Now in verse one of this story, Abraham begins and he calls them all together, but he calls them to a very particular place. He calls them to a place called Shechem. Now Shechem is a major, major city in the story of God. Because this is the city that God made his agreement, the word covenant, he made his agreement with Abraham. And he said, I will make your descendants as, you know, outnumber the sands of the shore and I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey that you did not labor for, that you did not toil for. God even says, I will give you vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, but you will reap. And in this moment, Joshua calls everyone together to the same place. And he says, look, look how God did it. Look at what happened. You are standing in the place that God said, I'm going to do all this stuff. And you are the beneficiary of it. God told all these people beforehand that he was going to do it. And they didn't see anything. They didn't get any of it, but look at where you are. God said it, he did it, and you're living it. You're living in the blessing. See, Joshua knows that the people need to remember the bigger picture of what's going on. And this is really the next thing I want to invite you to write down because we are drawn to worship God when we see the bigger story 
of God's faithfulness. We are drawn to worship God when we see the bigger story of God's faithfulness. For me, this is, this is really timely and really simple. I love it when God does this in my life, when he, when he like has me teach in all these weird different places, and then somehow, some way, he just like brings it all together. This last uh, week, I got to share um, some of my story at Celebrate Recovery. And it was just a, a wonderful time. But, but what the, the story uh, forced me to do was it forced me to think about um, my life. It forced me to think about what had happened. And, you know, there's so much stuff that I could say, so much, so much trauma, so much difficulty, so much strife. But as I began to write down all these things, see, maybe you're like me. You didn't grow up in church. I, I didn't grow up in church. You know, and I came to the Lord when I was in high school. I found Jesus. He found me, however you want to say it. It was a beautiful collision either way. Um, but, but when I started thinking about all the things that had happened in my life, what started coming up again and again and again was, wow, it could have gone way, way worse than that at that moment. This could have happened and I could have made this one choice and it would have destroyed the rest of my life. I could have done this, but instead I did that. And I, and I start to think about this. This is even before I know God. This is even before I know Jesus. And God is weaving his story into mine. As I wrote, I just saw moment after moment after moment of a simple truth. God's faithfulness. See, think about your story for a second. You know, I know you don't have, you know, four to five hours right now. Um, but, but think about it for a moment. Think about all the moments that God just shows up where he just, like, just a nudge, a leading. And it changes the trajectory of your life. You know, there's, a, there's this famous writer who says, we don't trust God with our future because we know how it's going to turn out. We trust God with our future because of how trustworthy he's been with our past. And this is exactly what Joshua is trying to get at here in this moment. Joshua is trying to remind the nation, hey, it, it, it might not look like it's everything you wanted. It might not be everything you wanted. But look at what God's done. He's trying to show them a bigger picture. Not just what's in front of their face. And see, Joshua is really in, inviting the nation of Israel into one of the most important reminders that, that to be honest, is, is huge for me. And maybe it's helpful for you today that, it, that the sum total of your life is not what you're experiencing right now. That's what Joshua is trying to, to say to them. Remember, these people, they're in the land now. Man, they've got it made right now. They, they, the, the conquering is over. The fighting is over, at least for now. You know, um, they're in the milk, you know, they're in the land of the milk and honey. They're experiencing all this greatness. And Joshua says, yeah, yeah, but don't, don't focus on what's right in front of you. Focus on how faithful God has been to you. That's what will lead you to worship, right? So maybe, maybe you're in a place right now where things are good. 
Great. Praise God. It's not the total of your life, though. God's faithfulness is far greater than than the circumstance, even if it's good. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's difficult. Then I would encourage you, just like Joshua, pray and choose. Because it's a choice each and every day. What are you going to remember? Are you going to remember the story of God in your life? Or are you going to remember how difficult this thing is in front of you? Joshua goes on in the passage, and if you still have your Bibles open, I want to keep reading um, because it gets a little more difficult. In verse 16, we begin this. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery and perform those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on the entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now I want to just pause there. We're going to keep going, but I want to pause and point out, what are they pointing to? Well, they're pointing right. They're not pointing forward. They're pointing back and saying, look, We get it. We see his faithfulness, so we're going to serve him. And then they go on, though. Joshua says, Joshua said to the people, verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a motivational speaker, by the way. Um, He is holy. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. See, in the midst of their response, we can even see how, how they're getting this idea that Joshua is trying to, to instill in them. Look at what God's done. Look at what God's done. Look at what God's done. But there's also another layer of the story. Don't just look at what God's done. Look at who God is. And that's the next thing I want to encourage you to write down. We are drawn to worship God when we see God as he is. We are drawn to worship God when we see God as he is. Not as we want him to be. Not as we make him out to be. But as he is. Right? What does Joshua say? Joshua says, you are not able. Right? It's it's really not the rally cry you want to hear. But it's still the truth. He says, you can't do it. I mean, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, but already Joshua knows, look, apart from the goodness and graciousness of God, you're not going to be able to do it. God's so holy. He's so perfect. He's so whole in all in opposition to all the ways we are broken. 
He's so perfect in, all the, in opposition to all the ways that we are flawed. We're not going to be able to do that life on our own. And he knows through experience, right? If you know the story, he's seen the people time and time again. No, 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 no. We're going to do it. We're going to worship God. And then they build a statue and worship something else. They, they worship an idol. Joshua knows that the people will seek to do this on their own terms, using their own methods. And Joshua says, you are not able. You don't understand. You are trying to do it by yourself. See, there, he understands that there's going to be a disconnect between what they say, what they want to do, and what they actually do. Right? It's a, it's a sign for them. He says, you will be witnesses against yourself. And they say, yes, we're going to be witnesses. But witnesses of what? How incapable they are of serving God on their own. See, because when we see God for who he is, right? We have the luxury of hundreds of years later, the scriptures begin to teach us that, that it's God and his graciousness that enables us to serve him, right? Paul says it this way, that, that it's by grace we've been saved, not by works so that we can't boast. We can't stand up here and say, I will choose every morning for the rest of my life on my own to worship God, to serve him, to live for him, to obey him, and I will be 100% successful. I mean, we can say that. And then four seconds later, we will break that promise. See, Paul, Paul understood this, and he writes it before, excuse me, he writes it later, and I think this is what Joshua's really getting at when he says, Christ's love compels us to serve him. See, what does he say about, what does Joshua say? Not only is he holy, he's also jealous. Right, and what Joshua is hinting at is this word that, that I love to, to remind you of, uh, uh, to remind you of how much you have this, this hesed of God. It's the, the word that only describes God's love for you. It's stubborn, it's jealous, it's, it's um, angered for you. It's the kind of love that never gives up. It's the kind of love that never walks away. It's the kind of love that doesn't take into account the other person, the other actions, but only its own affection. And Joshua is saying, this is the kind of God you have. You've got to understand, he does not share your heart with others well. Not because he wants to control you, but because he loves you. Right? Even Paul later says it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. Not our shame and our guilt, but God's kindness. See, we're drawn to worship the one true living God when we can remember how faithful God has been in our lives. And when we see him as he is. I mean, I don't know about you, but when people tell me that God's for me, I agree with it. I mean, I'm a pastor. Like, I study the scriptures partially for a living. I understand that that's what the scripture teaches me, but some days I wake up and I just feel like God's just against me. Like, everything I try to do just doesn't work out. You know, I, I, I get told all the time that he loves me, 
But when I've just sinned in that way that I, that I do and I just can't seem to not, I don't feel that truth, right? Like we saw in the video. I get told, you know, at least a thousand times a year that God's with me. But sometimes I just feel very alone and very isolated. I get told that God fights for me. But I feel like I'm in the 12th round with Muhammad Ali and no one's, tag, no one's tagging in. The battle just keeps seeming to go on and on. But what do we know? Right? We saw it in the video, Romans 8. We know. I may not feel it at this moment. What is Joshua trying to get us to, to see this morning? What do we know? We have a God whose love is so big for us that it doesn't share. I mean, imagine if you really understood God as he is. If you really could understand all the moments of God's faithfulness in your life. Would you not be drawn to worship? Like if all the faithfulness, the moments of faithfulness, the, the hours of faithfulness, the, the, the story of God's faithfulness was always present in your mind and the person of God and his hesed love for you was always present in your mind. I mean, that, that just draws you. So what about you today? Joshua asks a very particular thing of the nation of Israel, and I want to challenge you this morning with the same question. Because it is a question, right? If you've noticed the theme throughout the entire sermon, through the video, through everything, will you choose? It is a choice. And so the last thing and the response that I want to challenge you with is, Will you put all the other gods you are, excuse me, away? Will you put away all the other gods you are worshiping? Will you put away all the other gods you are worshiping? Now, I want to speak just to a mo- for a moment to the dads in the room, because I think there's some particular uh, day happening today that happens to be about you and me. And, and I, I want to ask you this morning, Dad, Will you stop worshiping the God of success, however you define that? Money, best athlete, best student, best whatever. Will you stop worshiping that God? That's a, that's a false God. It will always disappoint you. Dads, will you stop worshiping the God of safety? You know, one, one author says it this way, the safest place you can be is at the center of God's will, only it's often the most dangerous place to be at the same time. And so I know as a dad, I've got, I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, 
and my seven-year-old girl, if any sort of danger comes between uh, her, you know, in her life, I will uh, turn green, I expand, um, and I destroy. Um, you know, dad smash. And for me, it's a daily struggle to remind myself that the safest place my kids can be is at the center of God's will, even if that's in the most war-torn country on the planet. Even if that's in the heart of a city that I don't feel very comfortable with them going to. And I'll ask you dads, this next one, will you stop worshiping the God of stuff? One of my friends uh, in, her, in her room, she has a sticker. It's above like her bookshelves and bookcases and right next to her closet. And it's kind of like in the center. And the sticker just says this. I love it. It's a simple reminder. It says, soon to be burned. And it's just a simple reminder of everything that you have, the scripture teaches will one day be nothing but ash and dust to be renewed into its best version. So dads, will you stop worshiping those three? And to everyone else in the room, I have a very similar question. Will you stop worshiping success? Will you stop worshiping safety? And will you stop worshiping stuff? Will you put all those away, throw those away, And instead, choose to worship the one true living God, no matter where he leads you, no matter what it costs you. This is the question for today. Think of the kind of legacy that we could leave if all we decided was we woke up every day and said, this day, me and my house, we're going to worship the one true living God. And that's it. That's it. And so I want to ask you to pray and to reflect and to ask God. God, remind me of your faithfulness. God, help me see you as you are. And God, bring to mind the idols that are in the way. And God, Give me the strength, like the people that day, to throw them aside today and every day. God, we come to you now when we simply ask for you to be you. That's it. God, we know that who we need is not us, our strength, our methods. We know that who we need is you. And so as we reflect and we pray in the quietness of our own hearts now, God, would you show us those things that are in the way and give us the strength to cast them aside. 